The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Increase of Our Reality, I'd really appreciate it if you could drop a review or a rating and I'll give you a shout out on the show. While you're at it, come join the Telegram group and follow the show on Instagram and across social media. If you'd like to support the show, check me out over on Patreon for early access to Increase of Our Reality and Big Dumb Inquiries, which is the Swapcast show I co-host with Kyle Rainey of the Big Dumb Podcast. If you'd like to pick up some merch, come check out the merch store. If you want to help me out to upgrade my equipment and pump out even more awesome content for you guys, Come donate over on Anchor or Kofi. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered, or you feel you have something to contribute to the show, send me an email at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you, and I couldn't be doing this without you. Now enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the now 40th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your host, Shane, and today with me, I have Esoteric Eddie. How's it going, man? What up, what up? Chilling, man. It's, it's great. It's a nice day. Glad to have well, you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. So uh, for anybody that doesn't know who you are, why don't you give them a description on who you are? Cool. Uh, I'm Esoteric Eddie. I'm a, a researcher, an author, and uh 
document tour. I've got a YouTube channel where I, I upload documentaries and videos. And I also uh, just published a book last December of 2021. And um, always just researching and, and working on some esoteric, occult, and conspiratorial content. So I'd like to touch ground a little bit on all of your different concepts. But for anybody that isn't familiar with your book, do you mind giving like a brief little description overview of like what your book's about? Yeah, so it's titled The Lucifer Mystery Revealed, and it's basically an, uh, an academic perspective on the historicity of Lucifer within the church and the cult. So basically just kind of gives a brief overview of how that concept of Lucifer came to be and how it progressed to where it is today. So uh, without giving away too much, like what, what's your like uh, your end conclusion, I'd say, without giving away too much information so that people, of course, want to go and read the book? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not shy of giving away too much, to be honest, because even in the book, I, I reveal who Lucifer is halfway through the book, and then I continue on what the implications of that really mean. But um, basically, I mean, most of us in the truth or community already kind of know who Lucifer was. And um, what we have to understand is that the Bible, the Old Testament primarily, um, was derived from ancient, more ancient religions or mythologies like that of Sumer. So if you kind of look at the Bible through that lens, that the earlier stories were actually just renditions of old Sumer mythology, you can kind of see and conclude that Lucifer, if there was one, it is more similar to Enki or the god Enki. So I definitely have a, that kind of perception too, that a lot of like religions have the aspect of, uh, it's like different cultures putting different names on the same exact thing. So it's just like, it's a miscommunication through languages and through cultures where they all may be perceiving one thing and then kind of creating it into its, their own thing that kind of fits their culture. Yeah, it's basically what happens, dude. It's like every few hundred years, the stories get rehashed, retold, updated. Like I always like to say that, you know, like religion, the Institute of Religion is like the hardware, right? Like the indoctrination is the hardware, but just the names and the way that we partake in the rituals is like the software. The software just gets updated every few hundred years, it seems. And then it's one of those things too, where it's like something may start off with a really good cause, but then you have people that want to take power from that and then want to kind of contort it into their own image and what they need it to be. So then you go farther down the line and then there's so many different variations of the Bible, for example, and of uh, just a lot of different shit. You can see like the corruption within it that I feel like a lot of these people that are like the true, true Christians, you know, don't necessarily believe in the whole construct of how church is today. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm of the same mind. You know, I grew up in a Christian family, so I'm familiar with the institution of church. I'm familiar with how they do things and but uh, it's never been cohesive to what I thought, you know, Christ was really teaching and stuff. Yeah. And then there's like, uh, what, like, what's your view on the whole idea of like they reference in the book of Enoch about um, like the fallen angels coming and basically trying to take credit for like God's work. So they, there's a lot of people that believe that that's how the other religions were created was from these fallen angels, essentially saying that they were a God. And then that's, they kind of like created their own belief system off of that. If you're looking at it from like a biblical sense, of course. Yeah. Looking at it from a biblical perception. Um, yeah. I mean, that's blasphemy, right? I mean, like that's kind of what we see portrayed in our world. It's like, everything's just reduced to this materialistic viewpoint of like, well, you know, the authorities are the ones that we should look to for guidance. Right. And it's like, 
And it all comes back to like that whole fallen angel thing. It's like all these institutions around the world that kind of can, that we can speculate started from that first interaction with the fallen angels, giving us these weird, uh, you know, knowledge and information on warfare and, and tools and weapons and, and makeup and even all these other weird things, right? All this materialistic things that they gave to us, which later on became our institutions. I mean, yeah, we, from that perspective, we can say that they've kind of replaced nature. They've replaced God and replaced spirituality with just a materialistic, secular way of viewing ourselves in this world. So also, I'd like to ask, from your perspective, why do you believe that the Book of Enoch was removed? Well, from what I've researched, um, it seems like it was just too powerful for the church. It was too powerful. It, was, it just... It, yeah, it just led to too much, uh, like, independent thinking. For example, um, Simon, ben, uh, Simon Bar-Yokai, right, the guy who is supposedly wrote the Zohar, you know, the famous book of, within Kabbalah, mm -hmm. he is quoted as saying that, you know, this book should be banned because of how esoteric it is. And more specifically, Simon Bar-Yokai said it should be banned because people take it too literal. He thought it was an esoteric text that like most of the Bible wasn't meant to be taken literal, but a lot of people in that time were taking it literal, thinking that these, these fallen angels were literally physically mating with humans and giving us knowledge. And the church just didn't like that. So in my mind, it's like, it was just too powerful and it led people down a certain rabbit hole that would go all the way back to the Sumerians and the Anunnaki. And then we would realize that the institutions kind of started with them and were somewhat still enslaved by that system that was started by them. So uh, like kind of connecting the dots a little bit here. Um, you said that you were looking into elongated skulls. So yeah. considering that they say that the angels breeding with humans created Nephilim, and that was, of course, like giants and stuff. Uh, do you think that these elongated skulls also would have played a part connecting into all of that? Man, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So recently, just like within the past few weeks, actually, I started getting into that research. And um, like we were talking before we started, I, I don't really interview a lot of people. I've only interviewed two people professionally. And, and the second person I interviewed is actually Brian Forrester, the guy who's been researching the practice elongated skulls for like 14 years. He's been on Ancient Alien TV and all that stuff. That interview is going to be coming out um, later in July. But I started getting into this because I was like, all right, let me let me look at this stuff, you know, because it's been on my my agenda for quite some time. And what I found was fascinating. And it, um, first of all, what's really weird is the largest elongated skulls that are found on the world are in Paracas, Peru, which is a, a Pacific Coast area in Peru. And the second largest skulls are found in the Crimea area of the Black Sea. So over there in Europe, mm -hmm. um, near Russia and Greece and stuff. And what's weird as well is that, you know, Brian Forrester had two different um, professional laboratories to do some genetic testing on the Paracas skulls. And he found that not only do, do the skulls have red hair, natural red hair, but uh, more than half of the skulls actually have blood types and genetic types that are not um, native to Peru, but actually native to the Black Sea area. Um, so there's all these weird things going on, but I found another piece of evidence that Forrester was not aware of. And right around the early 2000s, there were two dudes, two geologists, 
I forget their names. I know one of them's name is like Walter Pittman or something, but they wrote a book called Noah's Flood. And what they found is that right around 5,600 BC, that the Mediterranean Sea was actually flooding. And for two years, the Mediterranean Sea um, fell into the Black Sea, causing 20 times of the Niagara Falls to fall into there. So the Black Sea rose and flooded that entire area. And we've actually found buildings 300 feet below where the Black Sea currently resides. So it was obvious that there was a civilization way down there. So now I'm thinking like, okay, the timeline's about five, 5,000 BC. The Paracas skulls are about, you know, 2,000 years old. So I'm thinking, well, maybe these were the Nephilim because in the Bible that we read that the flood was was initiated not because mankind was being naughty or evil or whatever. The flood, if you go back and read, was actually initiated because God was trying to wipe out the offspring between the sons of God and um, humans, which became the Nephilim. So with all this information, I'm kind of taking a step back and thinking these elongated skull people probably were the Nephilim, and that's why they're very scarce. There's not a lot of elongated skulls, so they were trying to escape. And um, as Matthew LaCroix points out in one of his presentations, Moses apparently was, was uh, told or commanded by God to seek out the remaining Nephilim kings and kill them. And uh, strangely enough, the Paracas people didn't last long. The Crimea people didn't last long. So these people could have been the Nephilim and could have been slowly wiped out. So they also say that there was, a, I don't remember the exact one's name, but there was a Nephilim that like attached himself to the Ark. Do you think that's possible that that Nephilim that attached himself to the Ark could have been the one that like took off to South America and tried to like colonize over in that area to kind of get away from all the shit that was going on up over in like, you know, the ancient, whatever you want to call it, the, the northern more areas? <laughs> yeah, uh, possibly, dude, possibly. Um, Forrester's conclusion was that, you know, whoever the Paracas people were, they they sailed from the Gulf of uh, Persia, the Persian Gulf down to what is called. Um, the counter current, apparently there's a current that actually can take you from the Persian Gulf down to Peru, because that's another thing we got to keep in mind is like the currents and all that stuff and, and, and sailing. It's a, that's a whole different science in itself. But apparently there is a current that can take you from the Persian Gulf to the, the Pacific coast of Peru. And another weird thing that he pointed out, which I, I don't know if it's true or not, but Forrester pointed out that in Paracas, there are date palms and you won't find date palms anywhere else in Peru. But what's interesting is of course, the date palm is very, um, you know, it's a natural and, and famous in, in, you know, Persia and the Middle East. So um, just like from your research, have you figured out exactly like where that water was coming from that started flooding that region? Not from my personal research, but those two geologists uh, in their book, Noah's Flood, they said it was due to um, glaciers melting. That was kind of the idea that I got, because you hear a lot of like biblical minded people talking about like the firmament opening. And then you kind of get into the whole like, you know, kind of flat earth concepts, which I don't know, it's kind of not necessarily the direction I like to go. Um, I try to look for a more like logical standpoint. And like the one that I kind of came up with that I hear people talk about is that it came from underneath the surface and there may have been some type of like earthquake where two layers kind of like push together and push the water out from the inside of the earth. That makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one. I haven't heard that one, but that seems like it could be plausible. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even just like, uh, it's kind of almost like a volcano kind of concept, I guess it it'd just be like a different medium within the volcano rather than being like magma, you know? Yeah. But um, connecting into that kind of stuff, I know that you do a lot of research on the Anunnaki and like my perception of the Anunnaki 
is that they were possibly like a race that was here that we kind of perceived as angels. And then I kind of hear another side of it where they say that they were angels and then we just kind of put another name on them. Um, like wh- what's your view on like where the Anunnaki fits into the human race, even if it's not from like a biblical perspective. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a huge topic and I'm actually working on a book right now about the Anunnaki, not specifically about them, but it's, it's titled the Anunnaki theorem. And it kind of just briefly describes and touches on the subject, but also kind of sh- the, the point of the book is to show that most of the major religions stem from those stories so I'm kind of starting to take a look at the Anunnaki stuff for the first time with just an unbiased, like critical, you know, uh, mind, because I grew up loving, you know, Zechariah Sitchin's work. And, I, you know, I used to think that it was all factual, but now I'm going back and kind of like understanding where a lot of the criticisms about him come from. So um, my perspective has changed on the Anunnaki, but nonetheless, our ancestors did write about them that's for sure you know and what they had to say about them was that they were gods they didn't really say where they came from you know the whole Nibiru thing is is kind of sketchy it's it's a speculation um but my perspective if I had to just speculate at this point I'm going to just say that they were from here at the very least from maybe Mars you know, that's just speculating. But I was, I'm going to say they were from here and they were advanced and they kind of just tricked us into thinking that they were gods. So then it kind of also possibly falls into the whole, like if biblical text is correct and it's not just all like mythology, that they could have been the fallen angels too. That kind of fits that that idea too. Yeah, I, I just kind of, I always see them as our elder brother and sisters. That's how I personally see them. They're just our elder brothers and sisters that had their own motives and were flawed, just like any other, you know, humanoid being, right? That's how I see them. They're just our elders, they're our ancestors, they were flawed, and they were the minority also. They They were a minority group, and we quickly overpopulated them, and that's why in the text, they basically just give up and decide to give us ownership and rulership of the earth. They're kind of just like, all right, we've caused enough havoc, you guys can have it. So uh, for the people that aren't familiar, and it's been a while since I've heard it, I guess this is kind of a two-part question, but uh, we were talking a while ago, and I kind of get into that concept of like, if we create AI, uh, we perceive Anunnaki as gods, then like what's above them? And then you were saying that you knew of a story where there was possibly something that was around that created the Anunnaki. So I guess the question would be, what is that race? And also from your research, what is the origin story as far as us connected to Anunnaki for people that aren't familiar? Okay, so as far as I know, there are only two texts that mention the creation of mankind from the Sumerian stories. And one of them is known as the Enki and Ninma text. And that's like the more detailed one where um, the lower ranking gods are doing all the labor and they're complaining. So uh, the Council of the Gods kind of pressure Enki, you know, the scientist god, to create a surrogate being to fill in for the lower ranking gods. So him and Ninma, who's also like a scientific goddess, um, they come together and, and they start experimenting in the text. They don't get it right right away. They actually experiment and create some deformed beings before they get it correct. And interestingly enough, in the text, they mention mixing blood and clay. So, uh, of course, Zechariah Sitchin saw this and 
he saw it as a rudimentary translation of genetic engineering. And in another text that mentions our creation is the Enuma Elish. The Enuma Elish is like, was a famous story back in Sumerian times. It was actually acted out as a play during their New Year festival, but it's, it's this warlike battle that apparently is actually talking about the creation of our solar system. That's how Zechariah Sitchin kind of deciphered it anyway. So that there's about two or three texts that talk about us being created deliberately by the Anunnaki to fill in as surrogate labor beings. And each of those texts talk about, you know, us being mixed with blood and clay to be created. So connecting into that story, I know a lot of people kind of view the whole reptilian concept as more of like a metaphor, possibly. Or it could also be like a literal thing. Uh, do you think that it's probable that when, say, like if this was a true story, that when they were trying other different things to see if it would work, do you think that it's feasible that possibly they could have like created this reptilian race that we all reference? I don't see it that way. Um, I kind of view it. I mean, I grew up loving the reptilian theory. You know, I, that, I first came across that in high school which was like over 10 years ago, about 10 years ago for me now. And I loved it. I thought it, I took it for true. I was freaking out. I thought, you know, politicians were really shape-shifting lizards and not to say that they aren't, you know, but um, if, if I were to really adhere to that theory at all, I got to, I got to big up and give respect to Credo Mutwa, right? The last Sanusi of the Zulu tribe who I have a documentary on, um, his viewpoint of it right he's he's telling us stories and legends that go all the way back hundreds maybe thousands of years in africa and he said that the reptilian race was born here that earth had produced them before it had produced the humanoid race the, the homo sapien race and he says that um we are compatible with the reptilian race and that is one tell telltale sign that they were produced here on earth and so if I were to say anything about the reptilians, I would side with with Credo and say that they were produced on Earth probably hundreds of thousands, if not a million years before we were even created. And that's why they're so advanced and just so maniacal and just so um, can easily control us because they just see us as like their little siblings. You know, we're just babies compared to them. So uh, connecting into that, too. Um, you know, like a lot of people have their references where they say that they believe in the shapeshifters because certain people's faces look weird at certain times. Uh, considering you like to dig into like occult type things also, I'm assuming. Um, I've kind of entertained this idea lately about uh, basically like elite families and bloodlines uh, kind of figuring out this knowledge on how they can pretty much they, they keep the bloodline pure so that they can transfer their consciousness from their old vessel into like their, this new younger vessel. So in that process, of course, it's like a new consciousness taking shape within another vessel. So that's where you might get the possible like face transformation a little bit. So do you think that might play an aspect into this whole like reptilian theory? Yeah, man. Now we're getting to like the, the realm of like quantum physics and consciousness and like what is reality. And when, once we get into that realm, then that's when all things are possible. And what's interesting to start at a basic level, apparently, according to, you know, mainstream science, we have what is called the reptilian part of our brain, which is the more primitive part of our brain, right? Our brains have evolved over time and grown new parts and different attributes. But the most primal and oldest part of our brain is what's called as the, the reptilian brain, which 
pretty much is this like envious, aggressive part of our brain. And it seems like the elite, quote unquote, kind of play on that primal part of our brain a lot, which is the, the part that solely focuses on sex, mating, you know, reproducing, um, fighting, you know, territorial things. And it's interesting, Credo also mentions that these reptilian beings, they lost a war. They went to, they went to war with the creator of all and lost that war, of course. And, and their punishment was that they could not eat anymore. And I view this allegorically. He said they cannot, that their mouths were so, uh, so shut and that they resided in, a, in, in now an unforeseen realm. And because they could not eat or sustain themselves, they have to eat energy. So I see it as like an allegorical tale that these reptilian beings reside in these spectrums of light or realms that we cannot see. So that's kind of where the shape shifting happens, right? Because they're shifting in and out of the light spectrums or the vibratory fields that we can perceive and that they can't sustain themselves in this three-dimensional physical reality that we reside in. So they have to find another way to sustain themselves. And they do that by feeding off of our energy and specifically the energy that's produced when we react from the reptilian brain. So another kind of thing connecting into that too, um, a lot of people I've heard lately, they make references to like when they take psychedelics, how they have like these like reptilian type experiences where they'll see people's faces as like reptilian and stuff. So Considering that we can only see a very small amount of the light spectrum, do you think that it's possible that it may be something that's almost like a multidimensional concept where they exist in the same plane as us at the same time as us, but we can't necessarily perceive them because of what our abilities are as far as we know at this current time? Um, but when you take like psychedelics, for example, you're obviously thinking and connecting on a different wavelength. And it's not just your brain, because a lot of recent studies have shown that you actually have less brain activity while you're on psychedelics, but yet it's more intense as far as like seeing all these different things. But um, do you think that that's partly the connection into possibly seeing this other like realm that they were supposedly pushed into? Yeah, yeah. And that's an interesting point, you know, or an important point is the brain is just a receiver. You know, consciousness is really what we are. So the consciousness is coming into the receiver and utilizing it to as an interface to play here in this reality. But as far as the reptilians, you know, I think that they aren't in like a parallel dimension as you're speaking. I think they're just literally like in this realm, but just hidden in a certain frequency. But when it comes to like the parallel dimension thing, I think that does happen. And I think that that's when we start to see like weird paranormal stuff. At least that's my opinion, you know, like if a cup moves or like a weird apparition walks by your living room, I think those things are more in line with like parallel dimensions or even past, present and future dimensions that are kind of glitching in and out of each other. Say, cause I've heard a couple different connections too, where people will say like, uh, you know, they saw something in this particular area of their house and they got freaked out by it. And then later on in life, they see something that like they're standing in that perspective and they see the, not necessarily themselves, but something that was in the same place that they were earlier in life. So it's almost like a, like a part, partly diminished part of that, like that reality in a sense. And then the other theory that I've kind of heard on it too, as far as like the paranormal type stuff goes, is that it's like, uh, like say that there's two realities sitting on top of each other at the same time. And if there's like a thinning in that veil, it makes it so that like somebody sees a ghost and it shows up and it runs away real quick. But it could be because it's another dimension that's looking at you as the ghost and you're looking at them as the ghost. And that's why they run away is because I think you're a ghost and then vice versa, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, that's funny. I, I like that. I think that's actually a lot of what paranormal activity is. It's just like that weird glitch where, that, like you just said, like we're staring at them, they're staring at us. It's kind of like the whole thing, like with like animals, like they're actually more afraid of us than we are of them. Yeah, I think that's, I think nine, my perspective is I think at least 98% of paranormal activity is literally just that. If they're just glitches and incidents occurring rather than like deliberate ghosts trying to haunt you and mess with you. Even like the the areas where there like something really bad happens, if time isn't necessarily linear, it could just be like a like a like a pulse coming from that specific spot that gets seen into other dimensions because something there was so bad that it projected so much negative energy that it's foreseeable in other dimensions that are very close to it. You know? Yeah, it's like creating an imprint right into the like what the akashic record we could say it's creating an imprint and it's just kind of like just staying there as a hologram replaying itself over and over exactly so uh coming from like all the different types of stuff that you've researched um one question i i, I used to ask it all the time but it's kind of i kind of strayed away from it but i feel like you'd be a good person to ask this one uh like what's what's your, like your perception of reality like if you had to just make an educated guess no you know holding you to necessarily that straight opinion but like how would you explain this reality or this plane or this realm that we live in oh man uh at this point at this point i would say that we are in a simulated reality deliberately created um as a schooling grounds and we do have free will here but because we have free will that means other people have free will and not just people but also other types of beings. So, and not just that, I think that the, the simulation that we're in, just like a program, also has its own fractal mechanisms that run on its own course that can also have repercussions. So it's not like everything happens in this life for you. You know, it's, it's all just happening. It's, you know, and so that's kind of my perspective. I just, I wake up, I try to be grateful and appreciative and try to just pay attention to what's going on around me and just try to live out my purpose because that just kind of seems like what it is. I feel like this is a schooling grounds and um, we may or may not have agreed to be here, but we for sure forgot where we came from for a reason. So it's kind of how I see it. Say, so I got two different perspectives that I've been coming, kind of coming on to lately. So I've been kind of digging into the whole cube concept and not just like the black cube concept. But uh, there was like a reference in the Bible where Jesus says that humans are like salt or something like that. And that's, you know, you're looking at that from like a white cube perspective. So mm -hmm. obviously you look at white as being pure and then you look at black as being corrupt. So looking at it from that perspective on how many different references there are to cubes, like theoretically, that could possibly be like the pixels, how we perceive as pixels within this reality that we live in. And a lot of people hear the simulation theory and believe it to be more of like a electronic type thing you know like a computer program but it may just be like a programming that we don't quite understand and i've been curious to know if they break down to find the you know the god particle it'd be really ironic if it was a little square you know yeah yeah like when i say simulation like yeah i don't necessarily mean like digital binary code although it is interesting that some of the world's top like quantum physics have realized that the fabric of reality work just like computer codes but I mean, nature, nature is simulated, you know, the, the way trees, right? Like the Fibonacci sweet sequences and everything, you know, the way bodies are created, 
the way trees are created, everything just fractalized. It just works like in a simulation. It's they're all just copies. You know, we're we're just copies of our parents. Trees are are copies of the seeds and all, so on and so forth. So it's we we live in a fractalized simulation. You know already but it's the question is like who designed it or was it designed and if so for what purpose but as far as the cube thing yeah you see that a lot you know like this the saturn cube and how the cube can unfold as a cross and it has 666 built into it so there's something going on here with numbers with symbols and uh yeah there's something going on it's a program that like i was saying isn't necessarily like a computer program but it's something that we may not be able to comprehend as people or as humans, at least in our current idea of like thoughts and what we can express. But going into another theory that I've been kind of pondering lately that I'm kind of curious on your input on it too. So you hear a lot of people talk about like near death experiences and a lot, there's a lot of times that people will describe this thing where it's like, they're still conscious, but they're within a void. Right. So going back to like the beginning of the Bible, where it talks about how there was nothing and then everything was created from that. I've been kind of entertaining the theory about like multiple dimensions possibly coming from after somebody passes away and they're in that void that there's the ability to recreate another universe within a universe. So mm-hmm. that could be kind of where the Bible starts. But do you, do you have any any different other perspectives on that concept? Yeah, actually, you just reminded me of something I thought about a while back. I don't remember where I got this idea from, but but somebody mentioned it to me. But anyway, so consciousness never dies, right? consciousness never dies so in your life right in the life that you've lived now that you there have been moments where you've almost died i'm assuming right we've all most of us have had moments in our lives where we almost could have died right you almost got hit by that car or you whatever or you almost choked on that piece of food all those moments in your life where you almost could have died you did die um but but in in that reality right? You died in that reality, but the consciousness kept going in this simulation. So when you actually die in this waking consciousness, whether it's through old age or or whatever, when you actually die, quote unquote, in this reality you're living, you're actually going to just jump forward to another reality. So you're consistently just jumping forward and forward and forward to different realities dying in one of them but the consciousness being transformed into another one that's set up and ready for you that goes kind of goes into the theory that theoretically like you never know what's on the other side so like you could technically live forever but everybody around you would perceive you as like being dead within that reality and that kind of goes into even the aspect of like that deja vu death thing where somebody will say they're out of light and they'll just imagine like oh if i turn left the car is going to hit me and then you know there ends up being an accident over there you know it's almost like you have that connection to another realm, almost like your brain's an antenna, almost kind of like we were talking about. And it's like, sometimes you can use it to like, you know, kind of, I don't want to say tamper with the strings of fate, but in a sense, kind of. And it's like, who knows what's on the other side? You could honestly just continue your life, not even realize that you died, but you're now living in another reality and everybody in your last reality perceives you as dead, but you'd never know because everybody in this reality doesn't know you as just getting into a car accident and dying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, once we figure out how to actually jump from them, kind of like it's funny, like the movies right now that have been coming out the past five years or something, they're all folk. A lot of them are focusing on this whole strength area, like extra dimensional, like lives and stuff. But if we ever figure out how to actually jump, that that's going to be crazy. And I feel like it's just going to like it's just going to change everything. You know, it's going to change everything on a, on a very vast scale. 
I mean, that could be known by a lot of like high end occult types because that's something that could literally change the fabric of reality. So it's definitely not knowledge that you want everybody to have. Because just imagine the world if everybody knew a way to essentially like skip death into like the next dimension. And then that's kind of where it goes into, you know, there being infinite dimensions is because there's all those different probabilities that could happen that it's like a new world needs to be created in order for all those things to happen. Yeah, I think that's true, man. I think that the science is real. I mean, anything that we can think of is possible. It's just a matter of putting forth the science and the math and the discipline to manifest it. So somewhere, somehow that this is already possible somebody's already using it but knowing humans and how we operate right telling from our history it's that kind of stuff is always regarded towards a certain few you know like like for example we live in a very militaristic world but the nukes are only you know available to those top people so i would assume i would assume that like the time machines the interdimensional machines are only regarded for a few people as well so, like, connecting into, like, the nuclear bombs, CERN, all of that kind of stuff, uh, do you believe that all of those types of things may be starting to, like, mess up the timeline? And that's why there's been so many cases of people having deja vu lately, just, like, the weird stuff that it's slightly changing. And then it also kind of connects into the whole, like, God concept where, like, theoretically, if there is a God and people are trying to alter reality as it is, it's almost like a joke that he's like, all right, you're trying to change reality. Well, I'm going to change the name of this popular book just to fuck with people. You know what I mean? Cause you guys are trying to play God and I'm not going to let you do that shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so, man. I think there's definitely been a rift going on for a while and I'm sure you've heard like the whole theory that like we actually did die in 2012 and we're kind of living in like a simulation or something of what our lives would have been. But there's a whole theory about that. But one interesting thing that I remember, like back in when I was in high, I graduated in 2012. And I remember just like prior to that, I was having these really weird deja vus. And I remember I was I was in the lunch line and I overheard this chick behind me telling her friend like, yo, I've been having these really strange deja vus, like they're very strong and and all this stuff. And my regret is like, I, I wanted to turn around and ask her about it, but I didn't. But I remember that time period was very weird. Like a lot of people were experiencing something like that. So yeah, I think there has been these, these rifts, these pockets ever since at least 2012 and that, or that time period that have been going on. And I mean, right now we're living in a really weird world. You know, we're living in such a weird timeline. It could be a comic book, it could be a TV show, and it basically is a TV show every day. It's like the Truman theory almost, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I also graduated in 2012 and I've had this idea that basically VR kind of kicked in really hard around then. So like theoretically, what if VR kicked in because they found a way to get everybody into this new reality and that's why shit's weird and they like are changing things and people notice these like weird glitches in the matrix, you know, is because like what if we all put on that helmet and that was kind of like when the matrix started because almost everybody I know at some point has pretty much put one of those things on, or maybe even if they didn't realize it, maybe there was just like a way to get everybody within that universe, you know? Yeah. It seems like they kind of want to slowly huddle us into that metaverse. You know, it's going to be a long, slow process, but I can foresee them wanting to slowly huddle us into there to be more controllable or, or maybe they're going to shut down this reality and just keep us trapped in that simulation because I mean, if consciousness is our real vessel and who we really are, then to be able to take that and trap it is going to be the 
you know, the utmost maniacal thing that these evil elite will want to do for sure. And it's funny too. I've mentioned it on a few of my shows, but the whole Neuralink concept where like, I almost see that as a possibility for it to be trapping your consciousness so that you can never actually ascend and see what's on the other side. If that already hasn't happened in time, because, you know, we could have been a lot more advanced than we realized. And they had this idea before to kind of imprison people. So they put people into some sort of a simulation and it could be just like a chain down the line that we're already like 10 fucking systems within the system, you know? Yeah. Like how Elon Musk says, you know, like we could be in one already, right? We can already be in a simulation and not know it. But uh, I mean, ancient cultures like India or Hinduism, for example, they talk about like the Kali Yuga, right? And then the Yugas and the cycles and how we go through these golden ages and then we fall and we forget about the golden age. So it's we're in the, the last part of the cycle, which is the worst cycle. So we're supposed to be going back up and and upgrading again to our, our best selves, our Atlantean selves. So it's like they're trying to like keep as much of us from ascending back to that. Honestly, you see it with the whole COVID thing. It's just like a matter of like suppressing people and just trying to see what they can get away with. And I was hearing about this experiment the other day too, uh, where essentially there was somebody in one room and the person in the next room over uh, was attached to some sort of like electric, something that would electrocute them pretty much. And there would be a scientist that'd be standing in the room in front of the per other room where the person had the button and they would pretty much just say like, do it. And the person would just do it. And they'd say like, do it. And they just keep turning up the levels as they're telling them to a point where it could almost like kill the person in the next room over. And it just kind of shows just how easily people are manipulated by anybody that has any sense of authority and connecting into something else we mentioned earlier about the whole, like, I feel like scientists and a lot of that stuff, obviously it's pretty blatantly linked to occult type ideas. So maybe they're purposely wear the white elongated jackets as like a, some conscious thing to be like, look, I'm pure. I'm wearing white versus like a black robe. And in so they can get you to do all these things that you wouldn't normally do just because they have this like, look at me, I'm a little bit better than you. So like, you should listen to the things I have to say because I'm important. Yeah, it's kind of funny if you think about it. Like, imagine if doctors wore like black robes. <laughs> Nobody want to fuck with them. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not going in there, man. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, dude, it's kind of pathetic to be honest. Like, how easily we can be manipulated. You know, like I love psychology. I also study psychology. Took a few courses in high school, and I always say that I think everybody in high school should take psychology because it teaches you so much about life and how things really work on basic levels. But I think about that a lot, man. I think it's very pathetic, you know, how easily we can be manipulated, me included, right? I'm, I'm not, no, nobody special, you know, I have my flaws, but the thing is we have to try our best to be disciplined and ascend past those little just basic psychological uh, switches, I guess, that we have, right? Those, we have to stand past the basic, psychological emotions that that are taken advantage on a daily basis so we have to see the world or act above that you know above that not just react we, we need to we can't be in a constant state of reacting when you're consistently reacting that's when you are in this vulnerable state of just being a carnal vessel of electrical impulses so if you start to train yourself to not just react, that's when you start to ascend past just being this psychological AI robot and you start to be a willful, sovereign, deliberate, spiritual being.
Say, and that kind of goes into the whole idea with like algorithms on trying to keep people on that negative vibe so that you can ascend because algorithms are kind of set up to just make you see things that piss you off or that make you react with the intensity as far as like the emotion can go. And that's why you like read into a lot of these different teachings and they talk about this whole concept of trying to remain neutral because if you're overly angry, you know, it, you're going to, it's going to cloud other emotions that are ones that you could use. And even going on to the other side, like if you're too joyful and too happy, you're not going to notice, you know, the hole in the ground because you're looking up at, at the sky and how happy you are about the sky. Like you have to kind of remain at this neutral balance, but still enjoy the emotions, but don't let the emotions take control of you. But the system's yeah. rigged that it just amplifies all of your emotions. <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking about this the other day and, and I was kind of a revelation on a most basic level. Uh, of, of human psychology, we have the male and female mind, right? And it, in this country specifically, if not the whole world now, in this new generation, we're consistently arguing and debating against the male and female mind. But the male and the female mind can portray themselves in different ways. So what I think or what I, what I believe is that like liberalism, right? What we call liberalism, and I'm not, I'm not affiliate of any political party at all, but, but liberalism is the female mind. Liberalism and all its different characteristics that, that are under that umbrella are really just complex representations of the female mind. And then conservatism, conservatism or republicanism are those are all just complex representations of the male mind. And it's, it's no wonder that we're having this rift right now in our country because the male mind always wants to be able to subjugate the female mind, not necessarily in an evil vindicting way, but it's set up that way naturally. It has been for millions of years, right? Like as, as the Christians would say, the natural order of things is God teaches man, man teaches woman, woman teaches the kids, you know, happily, mutually, consensually. So the male mind is always, it's rigged that way. So it always wants to be able to protect and, and, and guide the female mind. So right now, the liberals, everything that is liberalism is just the female mind and it's acting out. It's saying no. I don't want to listen. I don't want to be guided by you, which is the male mind. So the male mind is freaking out because it can't do what it was built to do. So that's why we have this split and um, it's causing a huge rift in our world right now. It's like a yin and a yang kind of concept that like one counterbalances the other. But if one's not acting the way that it should naturally be acting, then you're going to have a rift within that system. But we live in a culture nowadays where it's like we use terms like, you know, toxic masculinity. Um, we try to demonize masculinity, but it's we're in such a highly feminized society now that it's like, I'm not saying it should be all masculine, of course. I'm not saying it should be all feminine, but we need to get back to that balance because without that, there's always just going to be this issue and divide. And it's also, I feel, partly to control people in another sense because it used to be where one person was able, whether male or female, irrelevant, like one person was able to stay home and stay with the kids, do like homeschool, teach the kids, whatever they need to teach. Um, but now they've kind of rigged the system with this whole idea of like, women should be able to work too, which I completely agree with, of course. Like, I'm not saying yeah. I don't, but now they're making it so that the average household has to have both parents working. And in that aspect, you make it so that children are being spent most of their day getting taught by somebody completely foreign to your, to your family. 
Um, so there, it's like another way to control people and divide families because that's again what it all comes down to is they don't want families to be strong knit and tight. They want everybody to be divided. And even with the whole like trans concept about how it's so accepted by younger generations but not older generations, it's creating a divide within that family unit. Yeah, man, I agree. Um, that's that's what we're seeing is we're just seeing that breakdown of the natural order of things that we've been used to for so long. And and yeah, it's it's kind of a trick, right? Like to get the whole for them to get females to start getting into the workforce, it just adds more money to the system. It just adds more to them. You know, it's just another cog in the wheel. It was it was an intelligent design. Like, okay, let's let's create this feminism thing and let's get the woman into the workforce. And now it's just more money. Now it's just more corporate slavery. Now, like, as you mentioned, it's, it's less attention on the kids. So it's always this replacing, a replacing of the natural order, replacing of God, replacing of the man and the woman and the kids and the family unit, replacing that with just this secular viewpoint of we all just need to feed the system and listen to the law and listen to the authorities replacing spirituality with materialism. Yeah. And it's honestly destroying even the whole concept of like the following generation after, because the trans concepts with the whole like mixing of genders is progressing with the younger children. And it's being so pushed heavily in school to the fact that you have teachers that are fighting for the right to talk about sexual orientation with very young elementary school kids. So you can see that there's a whole manipulative agenda to take away from the natural order of things, even from that aspect where the people that are playing the parts in it don't even realize that they're playing parts in it and they're just pawns and they think that they're doing something progressive and good when realistically they're just corrupting the system from the inside out where if it gets to a point where it's like, you know, the whole rushing brain brainwashing concept where if you do it through generations, you'll get to a point where even if you start telling people the truth, they'll never believe it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, exactly what's going on man it's like i was warned about the new world order when i was about like seven or eight years old by this christian um summer camp leader and it was it was the most odd thing ever dude like that i he was only there for a week and for whatever reason he decided to sit me down and warn me about it and told me that like that later on in my life that this chip was going to come out the mark of the beast and they were going to first ask politely you know, for, for all of us to receive it. And then eventually they were going to like demand it and kill you if you didn't take it. So I, I, this was always in the back of my mind. So I've never surprised to see this playing out, but um, I'm assuming the mark of the beast as you're referring to, it would be this would be the vaccine, right? I mean, it could be, I mean, it could be, but what I was getting to is like, I mean, I, I, it's always been in the back of my mind. Right. But I don't, I don't personally don't believe that we need to go down that timeline. That's what I think it all it is, is a blueprint. It's a timeline that we could go into. And it's a timeline that the elites would benefit from. So to push us into that would be good for them. But transcending all of this, something that just came into my mind, it's like, excuse me, uh, Credo, right? Going back to Credo and the reptilians. He mentioned a very interesting thing about the reptilians and us. And he said that one of the first tricks that they created to divide us and make us more controllable is they actually took us from being androgynous beings to divide, creating us into male and female. So that, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a, it's like a, a tough circle concept where it kind of was supposed to join back into how it should have originally been before we were like divided into yeah. vessels. 
Yeah, it's kind of a tough thing to to digest, man. You know, like to because I mean, men and women is such a beautiful thing, right? I mean, I'm a man, I love women, you know, and and you know, women love us. It's a beautiful relationship, but Credo and some of the more you know higher end esoteric teachings will tell us that really the goal is to also transcend from the idea of male and female and go back to just being a, a, a light being of an, which is androgynous. So Kratos in his tales says that the reptilians actually took us, which we were androgynous beings, and then genetically um, formed us and divided us into male and female and actually laughed at this because that's when the first divide really began. It's now we were fighting over each other. We were stealing each other's men and women and all these different things. The two minds would not cooperate. So, I mean, it's, it's tough to think that, you know, we have to transcend male and female also, but again, that's just like a super high and esoteric teaching, but here on this earth right now, I think that we should focus at the very least on cooperating as men and women. You think that plays into the whole, like uh, the project looking glass where they were talking about how they didn't like the future that was being perceived. Um, so now they're at this point where they're trying to do everything that they can in order to make it so that it's the future they were trying to have. But in turn, it's kind of like flipping back on them with like the whole COVID thing and this giant boom in truth or podcasters and a bunch of people that just got red pilled from this concept. So it's like they're trying to push the message to change fate, but it's creating fate in the process. Yeah, what, what I think is happening, um, it's, it's all they're all test trials. I think it's all test trials. Like when this guy warned me about the new world order, that was always in the back of my mind. And and people have always thought the world was ending since biblical days. I mean, that's why St. John wrote the book of Revelation, you know, because he thought it was happening in his day. The book of Revelation is where all this new world order, Mark of the Beast stuff comes from. But we got to keep in mind that John wrote this or the apostle John, uh, uh, John wrote this when he was about 70 years old. Uh, imprisoned in in the island of Patmos and it's a psychedelic piece the first half is him encoding what's going on in his life at his time and the second half is about a prophecy of what the government uh, during his time which was the Roman army and was going to try to attempt to do so he was realizing in his time he was wise enough to see that the Roman government all this craziness that was happening around him was was going to formulate this this world power that later on would attempt a power grab and i personally believe that that's not going to happen until we live in a society where people like me and you are extinct where when the new world order is going to officially take over when the children are born into it when 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 there's no recollection of, of any of this anymore. It's it's almost a legend. It's been wiped out from history. So right now what we're seeing is the, the trials the trials, they're not, it's not the real thing. We're just slowly being phased out. This is a long, long-term goal and we are being phased out and they can't, they cannot attempt the actual takeover while we're still existing. They're, it's going to happen when the babies of the world are born into it and they know nothing else. And that's why it's more important for us to keep that, that knowledge and keep like that summer camp leader, you know, did to me is to keep teaching the children like, look, this is the real history of the world. This is what these people have been doing to us this is what they're going to try to do. So keep this knowledge awake so that some distant future, some kid, you know, 2000 years from now might come across a book or, or a podcast or something and be like, oh, shit, like, 
bam, like this is for real, like this is what it is. And then he might wake up and he might be the Neo, right? It kind of makes me wonder too, if like down the road, like we look at all of these philosophers as being like very wise people, you know, but it's like, are we doing the new medium of doing that where there, you know, a couple thousand, a couple hundred years down the road, people might be looking at what we're doing and looking at us, like how we look at like the ancient Greek philosophers, you know? Yeah, I think so, man. I think so. Like a, a lot of us, like, for example, like Jordan Peterson, right? I think Jordan Peterson is like the Freud of our time. You know, I mean, it's all different now because we have social media and memes and like everything's kind of like a little more um, made fun of these days. It's all very satirical, right? We live in a highly satirical society, you know, like somebody as great as as Jordan Peterson in our time, like he's just memed, right? But back in those days, I mean, these people were highly respected, you know? Um, but uh, I mean, that's beside the point, but yeah, man. Yeah, I think we are living in some very awesome times and we are witnessing greats right now. Like for example, somebody like Joe Rogan, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is just, he's gonna go, if this was like a thousand years ago, yeah, he, he would have a, a bust in some museum somewhere. That is very true. Sure. <laughs> So it, like I heard this metaphor that it's almost like you have to it's like there's a wall that's trying to be built from one side and you have to we're we're like the force on the other side of the wall tearing trying to tear down the wall as the other side's putting it up but it's like a generational war where it's like you have to keep progressing it with the with the younger races or not younger races but the younger generations so that they can keep doing the same effort but like this has been done through time, of course, but the other side was able to build up the wall before the next generation was able to figure out how to tear down that wall. So it's like now is the time that we almost have to like kick into high gear so that that idea doesn't happen again, because like all the esoteric knowledge, it wasn't necessarily always that way, but it was hidden through history. And as time went on and people changed the course of everything, and it's like now we have such a boom of information that it's impossible to hide information, but it's a matter of like them trying to fill that information with bullshit information so that people don't know what to take seriously. So it's like, now is the time that we have to go into like hyperdrive and make sure that the knowledge that needs to be taught is taught to the next generation and not just pushed to the wayside because of all this like crazy shit. They try, they're trying to like throw at us all at once to try to distract everybody from doing what we're actually trying to do, you know? Yeah, man, that's an interesting um, way to put it. You know, that visualization I think that's true. I mean, right now we're our generation, you know, we we're of the same generation. We're, you know, uh, up against the walls that were put up before us. I mean, we're up against huge walls, man. You know, you're talking about the federal reserve, right. That put together in 1913, that's over a hundred years ago. So we're up against a lot, but, you know, kudos to us, you know, we've been doing a lot um, of uh, tearing down these walls. Right. But yeah, man, we have to continue that line of, of uh, teaching, continue that line of work and action. And not every kid's going to pick it up. And that's why there's, there's that's why mystery schools and secret societies exist, at least the benevolent ones, because not everybody's going to vibe with it. Not everybody's built for it. You know, some people are, are literally physically not built to go up against the obstacles or mentally stable enough to go up against the obstacles. So this work is regarded for those who, first of all, are called to it. Second of all, answer the call. And third of all, you know, uh, are willing enough to keep going on.
and uh, other people are just they have other purposes right like I'm a plumber right and I'm very I like that it's changed my life in very um, awesome ways so yeah on one side I'm a very esoteric person I do a lot of my scholarly spiritual work but also I'm very grounded and I know that I mean this this world needs plumbing I mean we can go to Mars we can go to Venus you know, we can go to the inner earth, wherever we go, we're going to need plumbing, right? So it's like, we also need people who are skilled in other skill sets who can continue civilization, continue um, the luxuries and just the basic day-to-day things that we need to enjoy this life. I definitely agree with that because that's why I got into like cannabis growing. It wasn't necessarily just for the aspect of it being cannabis growing. It was to have that ability to have knowledge that I can... I firmly believe in myself that I would be able to carry on like the tradition of like how to farm stuff and how to grow things. And I feel like that's obviously a very important thing because without that, we wouldn't have a huge food source. So it's like that whole concept that like a lot of people talk about where it's like the reptilian mind and then like your spiritual mind, where it's like you still have to keep that reptilian part of you in mind because without that, we're all just going to be sitting around thinking of theories, but nothing's actually going to get practically like done, you know? Because even if we're living in this highly advanced, perfect society, like you were saying, you're still going to need plumbers. You're still going to need people growing food for everybody. So it's like you have to kind of find like the balance between that. Yeah, man. And that's what makes us like the most miraculous and like awesome beings in the universe. Right? It's like we have the capability to actually change this universe. We can actually affect the things around us. And it's just kind of sad, man, or kind of whack, you know, to think about what we've done with that power. You think that's why they're trying to dumb down like younger generations is because they like, like our generation is kind of a weird generation because we're half analog, half digital. So like, I've noticed that most of the podcasters, you know, there's a wide variety of ages, but a lot of them, weirdly enough, are around 27, 28. They're like the millennial generation, you know? So do you think that they're kind of trying to do this thing where they realize that our generation was a threat? So they are trying to dumb down the next generation after us so that it's like making it harder and interrupting that whole concept like we were talking about of carrying on the knowledge because the next generation is more concerned with a seven second dance video than sitting down and listening to you know, like an audio book or like a lecture about like the really important information you can get on the internet. They try to make it look like that's boring. Watch this little seven second thing that's going to teach you nothing. So it's like a progression of like, be entertained so you don't learn, you know? Yeah, I think so, man. It's pretty messed up. Like our parents' generation, they were just very like survival minded. I would assume most of them, right? They were all very survival minded, grounded, And then we entered the world and I feel like we were the first ones to like really be hit with the indoctrination, like our cartoons and the things that we grew up on compared to like what our parents grew up on were heavily occulted and heavily influenced by, by, you know, these occult indoctrination programs. So um, yeah, because something about us, man, is like, we, we are at the hub. Right now, we are the adults. We are the young adults. We are the ones who need to enact change because our parents are, are pretty much over it, right? They're exhausted. They're tired. We are the adults. We are the ones that are right here at, at the front lines, you know, and, and our soldiers, right? The ones who are supposed to back us up, the next generation are just over there doing TikTok dances while we got gunfire going on. So it, it, it's a tough battle, man, especially when again, just on a, on a grounded level, a lot of these kids don't even want to work. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. we need, pe- we need soldiers, we need workers, we need people on the ground, you know, but everybody's up in their mind. Everybody's up on their phone. 
you definitely see that too because it's like if i look at my numbers for my show as far as like age groups go the smallest age groups are people that are like 25 and younger like my biggest age group is like i think it was put as like 25 to 29 and then like 30 to like 37 or something like that so it also kind of fits into that generation like we were talking about that could be kind of seen as like the threat generation because even the tail end of the generation before us still had the same experiences that we did and for example they're a little bit older for like 9-11 so they had more of an understanding of it than we did so they may be even farther into this concept than we are and we were like the built off of them and then the next generation after us it's like we have to like wake them up to these concepts but they always talk about the whole idea of like the period of great enlightenment and hopefully we're getting towards that where maybe there's like a reason why their generation is the way it is mm-hmm. and if you're going into the idea like you were saying that there was the split between male and female like we're looking at it from a bad thing, but maybe it's like a whole different perspective of them where they're getting it back into that concept because maybe that's like uh like we're looking at natural looking at it from like a sense of like a biblical sense, you know, but yeah. like maybe they could be looking at it more from like a spiritual sense subconsciously without even realizing it. Yeah, man. I mean, we gotta we gotta break the molds, break the paradigms, you know, and just speculate, you know, and yeah, I mean, all this like subjective reality, subjective truth, all this stuff that's going on. Yeah, like we with the more Christian default viewpoints kind of see that as bad or kind of like weird or we're very like nervous about it. Right. What's going on? Why there's all these genders? What's going on? It could be for a better purpose, a bigger purpose. We don't know. There could be a generation born after the t- current TikTok generation that like just fucking blows all of us out of the water and just finally gets it. And it's like, ah, like it's all subjective and like all of these political leaders are nothing like let's just you know like yeah man i have faith in humanity like i don't think we're in the new world order right now there's definitely test trials but yeah we're looking at the tiktok generation and we're just kind of like just writing them off like oh these guys these girls are crazy but they might be brewing something else totally unforeseen that might actually become greater than than what we could have ever imagined i was gonna say too it's like even so even with them even if it's not necessarily this realm of podcasts, like it seems like podcasting is kind of taking over in even like YouTube documentary type stuff, like all that is kind of taking over as far as like where people try to like learn things from. So it almost shows that even like the new generation, they kind of get the idea, even if they don't realize it, that like mainstream news isn't what you follow if you're really trying to find the answers that you know. So they could be into this shit subconsciously completely without even realizing it. And that's why they're, pushing even just like the concepts of podcasting because this is almost like the new generation of like a philosopher standing in front of a class and just talking to a bunch of people except the audience is bigger and ironically like you're not doing it in front of a crowd anymore so you can be like more open with your concepts you know yeah when i think of the new world order i think about this futuristic dystopia place like that's what it's going to be it's going to be this totally futuristic holographic city type of thing right and everything's just going to be that way. And we're progressing towards that way naturally, even, you know, we're, in, we're uh, integrating ourselves with technology more and more and more. And, and these TikTok, this TikTok generation, like you're saying, they're already using these mechanisms. They're not using them correctly yet, but they are kind of realizing like how just dumb and okay, boomer, like all this political stuff is, right? So like, they're like, 
on a whole nother level. Like we are like over here reading books, watching documentaries, like, you know, setting up videos, like trying to say like, yo, like politics is, you know, it's not where it's at. Like these, these politicians are evil, this, this, and that, whatever, taking so much time to do that. Whereas the TikTok generation, like they just get it. They're like, yeah, politics are whack. Like, yeah. you know, let's, let's focus on like being millionaires and living it, you know? So it's like, they, they got it right. That they got the mechanism, the vessel, but they haven't woken woken up yet as to what it's supposed to be used for. Yeah, it's like it needs to mature still. Like there, like yeah. a lot of our generation, if you've noticed, had a lot of like dark times when we were going through our teenage years. But because of those dark times, we're able to see through the darkness to be able to navigate back to the light. Like even just looking at the whole concept of like shadow government. So it's like you almost need to have that down in order to have that high. And maybe like they're on that generation now because they're looking at everything like it doesn't matter because they're going to realize that everything is connected and it does matter. But if they didn't have a point where they realized that where they thought everything mattered, like they wouldn't get to that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, something's going to happen, I guess, eventually that'll wake them up, you know, I'm assuming, but it, but we, we still need to be doing our work too. You know, we got to do our work and it's not finished yet. And, we got to do it because I'm sure there's going to come a time in our lives, you know, when we're like in our forties or something, you know, God willing that we might, we might retire, you know, we might get exhausted of it. And we might be like, you know what? I did what I could. I'm leaving it up to y'all, you know, pass the torch. <laughs> what up? I said, pass the torch. Yeah, exactly. Pass the torch. I mean, at one point we're going to have to pass the torch, you know, some of the OGs, you know, didn't do that until it was their time to go, you know, like Jordan Maxwell, RIP, who just passed away. I mean, he spent his whole entire career and life passing the torch, you know, or like uh, William Cooper, right, who literally went out guns blazing. So it's like we're, we're all eventually going to have to pass the torch. It's just a matter of, you know, when or why. I mean, it may not even necessarily be the next generation. Like we're talking about with like the philosophers too. It was like generations later that finally picked up on those concepts. So theoretically, our generation could be laying that groundwork. And maybe that's why we have like the philosopher mentality, but still partly the doer mentality. Because if it didn't have that aspect, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this and making it so other people could listen. You know, we'd just be sitting and having these conversations that are all just philosophy without any action. But even if we're not doing it, we're doing action indirectly because just us saying the things that we say could be sparking things in other generations' heads later on down the line or even on our same generation. Because who knows what politics might be like when our our age group is the ones that are the older politicians that are running everything, you know, like things yeah. could drastically change at that point. Yeah, man. That's that's what I always say. The world's not ending. Right. You don't see billionaires freaking about about the world ending. You see them making investments. You see them still continuing to create generational wealth. So uh, the world's not ending. You know, the world, especially the earth itself, the earth is it's a big, beautiful babe, man. It's going to continue on. You know, it's just a matter of if we're going to stick around for it. So we still need to keep uh, laying the groundwork, keep trying to reach sovereignty, right for ourselves for our family keep trying to create generational wealth and generational resource because whether we like it or not the world's going to keep going on after us so you know those after us will greatly appreciate the work that we laid down it's one of those things too where it's like you can't get fully blackpilled because at that point it's like you're manifesting negative which is going to result in negative like even if you're trying to navigate through the dark you still need to 
keep that mindset so that you don't manifest bad things to happen. So if everybody's thinking that the world's going to end, then the world's going to fucking end or people are going to go crazy and they're going to cause the world to end just off of them being crazy. But you keep that positive mindset even through navigating through all this shit. Like most conspiracy theorists have a very spiritual side, even if it's a Christian side, if it's some kind of consciousness side, it's like, it's that law of duality that in order to look through the dark, you also have to have the light that's helping you, you know? Absolutely, man. A good person is somebody who knows good and evil and chooses good. Definitely. So I think that that's definitely a good spot to, to connect in in this words of wisdom to start wrapping it up because I feel like that's it's a good stopping point, you know, and we could definitely do another episode on this because you seem like one of those people I could definitely go back and forth with for a long time. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No worries. But uh, yeah, if you wanted to bestow some uh, words of wisdom on the listeners, uh, what would it be? Words of wisdom. You know, there's a lot I could say, of course, but I guess for right now, you know, on the topic of generations and, and working and laying groundwork, I would say that if you decide to put your all into a craft, whatever it is, when you, when you decide to work hard at something and give it your all, with no excuses, that work will change your life and it will give you the results that you're wishing for. But you can't half-ass it. You cannot. Whatever you choose to do, if you want to be a teacher, a plumber, if you want to make TikTok dances, whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly. Don't half-ass it. And if you pay attention to detail, and you are honest and you work on greatness, then you can't go wrong. And that alone, the process alone will, will, will save you from living a life of destruction. I definitely agree with that. And to connect off of that also, I always like to say things along the lines of like, don't put a cap on yourself because as soon as you put a cap on yourself, that's all you're ever going to achieve. So if you're trying to do something, Never say this is the max of what I can do. You got to go into it, not even having an idea of what the max is. And you just do it and put your full heart into it and let it see where it takes you rather than you already telling yourself you can only make it so far. Absolutely. But also, too, if people enjoyed this conversation, uh, let them know where they can find you and where they can find your books and your uh, documentaries. All right. All right. You can find me on Instagram at Esoteric Eddie. You can watch my documentaries and videos on YouTube at Esoteric Eddie TV. I got some merch on EsotericEddie.com. And um, uh, uh, you can find my book on Amazon at The Lucifer Mystery Revealed. If you don't want to support Amazon, you can hit me up on Instagram and I can uh, mail one directly to you if you'd like. Awesome. And I definitely have a copy of that book. So I highly recommend it to everybody that's interested in these types of concepts. As you can tell from this conversation, this is a very intelligent man that I'm talking to. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that. I guess we'll leave it at that note. Uh, thank you all the listeners for uh, taking the time to listen to this great conversation. And thank you for coming on the show, of course. Hey, um, thank you. Have a wonderful night, everybody. And uh, catch you on the next one.